The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee and streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu. I'm your host, Gary Pudnick, and FSU men's basketball continues their tear in the ACC. The Super Bowl is set, and Conor McGregor is a dead man. We'll get to all of that in just a moment, but first, as always, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Austin Reynolds. Austin, how are you feeling about your Hawks so far this season? All things considered, pretty well. Uh, there was a stretch there for probably two weeks where the Hawks were suffering from a lot of injuries. They had some, some key rotation players like Danilo Gallinari, Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter were, were all missing time. Most of those guys have gotten healthy. Their only big injury right now is their big uh, offseason acquisition, Bogdan Bogdanovich. He suffered a, uh, a knee fracture, so he's going to be out for a while, but they're getting healthy. About to hit a really uh, rough slate of games. They play the Clippers tomorrow night, I want to say. So that's going to be a rough start for them. But they're sitting in a playoff spot right now, which is more than I would have expected for such a uh, a new roster compared to last year this early in the season. So I'm happy. We got a lot of we got a long way to go here. It's 72, 72 games short in season here. We're only about 16 in, depending on which team you look at. But I, I don't know, the Heat the Heat are looking not too great right yeah, now, but we've had right. a lot more injury problems, and that's a whole different story there. But, yeah, the Hawks, they got, they're looking pretty decent here. And also the Knicks. The Knicks are looking pretty solid. I'm a bit worried about them. Their defense can put can make up some big stops every now and then. So they're a yeah. team to look out for. But, yeah, let's keep it moving here. We are also joined by Sebastian Angel Riano. Sebastian, the man of the hour, the man of the night last night. I mean, you they got it. It's The Bucks are going to the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay the first team ever to do that how does you how do you feel I'm still I'm still not sure if I'm dreaming or not I it's it's been a I I would say oh it's been a long time coming but I'll be honest like four years ago you tell me like hey the greatest football player of all time or at least the greatest quarterback of all time uh will come to your town pick your football team to play for and uh, take them to glory um, and fight for a Super Bowl in your hometown at Ray J. You know, it's all right in front of you. And I don't know what's going to happen in two weeks, but I, I would have been like, this. that's not, we're, we're not, like, cool. Like, I didn't know I was going to get into Madden 22. <laughs> you, like, you're going to be among the 22,000 fans screaming their heads off at there in a couple weeks? I don't have that money. <laughs> I don't like, think any I of can't us do. Even, I, I can't <laughs> even, like, convince FAFSA to, to loan me some money for a new, la- like, computer to work on the show on. Like, I can't. I just, can't convince anybody to give me that money. Just hope and pray that stimulus bill come, that stimulus check yes, comes sir. in. There you go. The that might stimmies. that might be it, man. That two, a nice cool two K coming <laughs> your way, hopefully. Yeah. But we'll get to we'll talk more NFL. We're gonna have Luke Hazen coming on in the second half to talk about that. We're another Bucks fan joining the program to talk. But we got to talk about some FSU men's and women's basketball because they had a pretty good week on both sides. The men, like I said, are tearing it up right now in ACC play. I would say this is the best basketball this season, obviously. I mean, it's probably not a shocker to anyone, but it's really impressive to see what they're doing. They're tearing it up. Like I said, they uh, are now 16th in the AP poll, going from unranked a couple or for the past two, three weeks since they were kind of on that weird COVID break. But now they're back. And in their last two games, Monday night when we were on air during the show or during their game, they took down Louisville 78-65 to in Louisville. And then they got revenge on Clemson, 80-61, to an embarrassing game for Clemson. I mean, Sebastian, what did you really see out of these past couple of games for FSU? Man, that was the, the beating that we were waiting for uh, before the, the new year when, you know, the Knolls went up to South Carolina. Uh, what a satisfying, what a satisfying, you know, pounding that Florida State Seminoles. Uh, gave uh, the Clemson Tigers in men's basketball this past week. If you're a Florida State fan, you got to be pre- feeling pretty damn good. Reports of the death of the program were greatly exaggerated going into the new year. Um, the the you know the tuck is bumping. Everybody who's working at the tuck is bumping. Um, and, and honestly, like you feel, if you're a Florida State fan, you got to be feeling great. It's up and up and up. Who was saying that the program was dead around middle or around early January? You I know, wasn't. I know it wasn't. Games, it was not us. Out of the rankings, like we we were like, no, things are gonna be fine. And I, and we told you, yeah. we told you all at home, like things are relax, gonna be fine. Relax. The rankings yes. don't matter right now. Um, the you rank- know, uh, the AP will render what what is Caesar's to Caesar. Like, we'll we'll see we'll see it done. 
The yeah, rankings just do not matter at any point up until the last one or going into conference uh, title going or tournaments and then going season, into yeah. the NCAA. Those mm-hmm. are the only two times it matters, Austin. True, but it's nice to see that number next to FSC's name sometimes. Yeah, like Sebastian said, if you're an FSU fan, you got to be feeling great right now about it because this, this team is playing. I mean, I got a question for you guys. Is this the best basketball we're going to see this team play this season? Because it feels like it. I mean, they're firing on all cylinders. I feel like it could be, just because teams haven't seen FSU in a couple weeks coming off this COVID break. Uh, Clemson especially coming off a break of their own. They are sort of the other side of that spectrum of rest versus rust that we were talking about. We mentioned uh, from time to time. Clemson has lost three straight games after coming back from their uh, their COVID fiasco, including this big blowout loss to FSU. So this was really the perfect storm for FSU to take advantage of the situation there uh, with them, with Clemson not really having a ton of tape on FSU from recent weeks. But uh, as teams start to sort of see the way FSU plays, uh, adapt to their style of play, adapt to their defense, because that was some suffocating defense they played against Clemson in particular, uh, I-, I think we're going to see this team's cool down a little bit. But I-, I would say they're easily like a 750 team the rest of the way. I think they've actually got like room to improve. You know, we've got, a, and if you're talking about individual uh, form, you know, Scotty's only going to get better and better as he as he gets more time uh, practicing and shooting in game. Um, I mean, the score of this game was 80 to 61, and for everybody who watched that game, they'll tell you like that score does not reflect like how not close this game was. Yeah. Uh, this game was a 30 point game. Almost forty at times. I want to say it got the lead got as far up to uh, like thirty eight. Thirty eight, yeah, biggest lead. Biggest lead was thirty eight. That's ridiculous. It was um, it was forty two twenty four at the half, yeah. and at that point I was like, oh, this game's over. Clemson pulled it back to a and I and I'm doing heavy air quotes here for our audience at home. Respectable <laughs> loss of only nineteen <laughs> points, um, in in absolute garbage time, absolute garbage time, and nobody really did too much. Like I, I feel like the 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 Knowles could have, you know, pushed if they really wanted to, you know, lean on on the Tigers a little more. I think they could have pushed it to 100. <laughs> I yeah, um, just in garbage time because because there was no real like you know a basket action, um, in those last 10 minutes. I watched those last 10 minutes and they were, they weren't pretty because Clemson wasn't scoring buckets and neither was Florida State really. Yeah, it's just one of those things. Like yeah, you can understand why FSU pumped the brake. They don't want to try and push it because obviously. We saw in that game MJ Walker go down. It appeared that he was hit, struck in the head. Was that? Am I right? Because I, I kind of missed it. It happened very quickly, and he was then just starting to limp off the court with the help of a couple trainers and teammates. Yeah, it was. I think when MJ was going for a rebound off like a, a missed free throw, I think for uh, for Louisville or not Louisville Clemson, uh, and then Tanner Ingham, who was playing center at the time, uh, knew that there was a man behind him, but he didn't know who it was. So he was just kind of like moving his arms a little bit, accidentally elbowed MJ in the in the face. So. He did not look too good uh, getting up from that contact or being walked back to the locker room. Thankfully, Ham said after the game that he was alert, sitting up, watching the remainder of the game in the locker room. And I think he's done, uh, MJ has done some sort of interview for FSU basketball, like Twitter content uh, in the past day or so. I I haven't been able to check that out, but at least we have the, the comfort to know that he's not seriously hurt. Yeah, it didn't. Yeah, from all the stuff that we've read and seen afterwards, it seems that he's going to be fine. Maybe his time gets a little bit more limited in these next coming games against Miami and Georgia Tech. But I, yeah, you, it's a scary moment, and that's something you cannot afford for this team, really. If you have MJ Walker go down, and maybe Scotty Barnes goes down a little bit later in the season, because he's obviously shown that there are some inconsistencies right now with his health early on this season. I mean, he did set out the UNC game a couple weeks ago, but. If those two guys were to be inactive for a certain period of time, especially towards the end of the season when the grind starts to get a little bit more difficult and your body starts to break down, you aren't lucky enough to maybe get a break. Because right now, it, like some teams like Clemson, I don't know how terribly oh, they were hit with COVID in that uh, span of time that they had for their break. But in that, they came back and they lost three straight games. And that's what was on the other side of the coin for FSU. It could have gone that way because if some of these guys on this team were hit harder with COVID and all that, they may have not been in in any sort of good physical condition to go out and play against D1 athletes. They would have maybe been able to fare against D3, but even then, those guys are good too. So if if those injuries don't come about, this team has a great chance of keeping it moving forward throughout the season. I think so. And I mean, just glancing at the schedule that FSU has remaining, let me get back to it here. 
Obviously, they play Miami this coming Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, they're not one of the greatest teams in the ACC, obviously. I think they're third from the bottom. Uh, they have a rematch against Miami. They're, they're really only concerning games the rest of the way, I would say, are against Virginia, and that's... Uh, uh, that is all... Day after Valentine's Day. Yeah, day after Valentine's Day. That is in... Uh, uh, not, not in dope. Tallahassee. Oh, my God, yes, it's in Tallahassee. Mm -hmm. I was going to say dope. <laughs> uh, it is here, though, so that'll be a plus for them. And then they have uh, Virginia Tech as well. That's going to be uh, at the Tucker Center. That's the venue as well. Yes. So both both of their toughest games, one would think, are going to be at home. Uh, really no question the rest of the way that those two are the, the toughest games they're going to have. So encouraging stuff as, as we look towards the back half of the season. That stretch coming at in uh, February, about two weeks or so, is going to be tough because they go at 2VT uh, on February 9th. Oh, yeah. Then they go to uh, come back here for Wake stay in Tallahassee for UVA, and then again VT coming to town. Yeah, so that's... And then, so that's a, that's a tough stretch there. I mean, you're playing the same team twice, obviously, but it's three technically solid games and solid opponents that you're going to be taking on. So, And then they got UNC a couple weeks after. So that part right there, uh... that actually, well, I mean, UNC is always going to be a bit tough. It's going to be in uh, North Carolina, right. so you're going up there. It's not always a favorable spot for Florida State to play, even without fans or with little to none so it's that's going to be a tester that uh five game or six game stretch that you see there and especially going into tournament time that's what you kind of need to see is this team going to be able to hang in there with some good teams and like unc you're going to run into teams like them in the tournament where they're big name they played okay maybe not up to their standards and if you can hang in there and you can uh withstand any sort of flurry of punches because those guys will have good players on that team. Like they maybe just aren't feeling it right now in this part of the season, but if they can get hot on you in a tournament, you're in trouble. And so if that's why that stretch there is going to be really important to see this uh, team's stamina against good teams. Yeah, that stretch in particular, now that you mentioned it, I did not see the uh, the road matchup against Virginia Tech in there, but uh, those three games in a span of four is going to be a really good test for this team. And honestly, let's not count out Georgia Tech because this is a, a much different Georgia Tech team than the one that FSU played earlier in the season. I believe they beat them by 8 or 12 points. Uh, Josh Pastner has his guys playing at a really high level. They're 7-4. and four. Uh, They're in the middle of the pack in the ACC, but still have been ha having a little bit of a resurgence as of late. Some people have attributed it to full contact practices because I know there was a big d big deal made about how Pastner switched back to full contact, and they were like 5-1 and one since that happened. So that could be making all the difference for those guys up in Atlanta. And that, that game is actually going to be in Atlanta, the rematch is, when FSU goes and plays them. So that's going to be this Saturday, I believe, the yes, 30th? Saturday yeah. at 4. Yeah. So, that'll, so yeah, that's going to be a big one. And in their last game that they had, they took on number 8 Virginia, and they lost by 2, 64-62. Yeah. That's a tough game, especially on the road at uh, in uh, Charlottesville, yeah. uh, Virginia. And so it's they're playing well. And like one of their four losses this year, I remember when the season started around Thanksgiving, they had a loss to Georgia State. Yes. And I remember a lot of Georgia State people. I was up in the area around then, and people were like, wow, yeah, uh, Georgia State owns uh, the city of Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh, this this tech team isn't this good this year, because I didn't really do much reading up on them prior to the start of the season. And once I saw them taking on uh, Georgia State and losing, I was like, okay, maybe not. we don't have to worry about them this year. <laughs> yeah, it was like a quad overtime, I think, lost to Georgia State to open the season, and then they lost by 10 to Mercer, who... Nobody. I mean, th they busted Duke's bracket a couple years ago. I think it was 2013 in the first round, but mm -hmm. they've really done nothing of note recently. So a couple of concerning losses for them to open the season. But yeah, they are certainly in the thick of it in the ACC right now. Yeah, don't expect Florida State to be running over this lineup of teams they got coming through. But just because it's the that kind of adrenaline peak that this team may have been coming off of after the COVID break is going to start, I believe, is going to start slowing down. We're going to start yeah. seeing some sloppy games come about. Like I said, I think this is the best team, best uh, play we've seen out of this team this season and could be the best play we see out of them this year. And that doesn't say they can't get back to this, but right now this is, I think, the ceiling for the team right here in terms of play-wise. That's a little disheartening because I mean, like we have Scotty. They have Scotty Barnes coming off the bench. Raquan Evans getting the the start in front of him. Uh, they're, they're still obviously working some some kinks out with the roster rotation. Leonard Hamilton is so. I think once FSU gets that sort of nailed down, once they get clearance that uh, Anthony Polite and MJ Walker are going to be back to their usual selves, then they will, I think, start to get a little bit better. I mean, obviously, 
winning four games in a row. I don't think you're going to see that the rest of the way. But I, I would certainly not say they've hit their peak quite yet. Yeah, yeah, you you make a good point. Like, obviously, my word is not gospel because what do I know? And this is why I'm... <laughs> what do we know? I mean, yeah, we're here in our studio and they're on the court actually playing. So we're not the ones making the decisions on the court there. So, I, yeah, it can go either way. But Florida State, I mean, they're like I said, they're playing really, really solid basketball. I mean, they... I don't know. There's not too much more that can be said on that. I mean, the only errors... I was trying to watch that game against Clemson and find things to nitpick on. And kind of say, oh, what can we talk about for the show if we need something? Like, the only things I could find for that game against Clemson was inbounding seemed to be an issue at certain points with the press that Clemson was running. And uh, a little bit of free throw inconsistency. Great. Not not that much, though, because, I mean, Florida State is going to shoot free throws very, very well. So that won't be an issue. But really, it, <laughs> I had to dig deep for a nitpick there, and it was uh, inbounds. Yeah, the free throws, if you're just looking at the, the stat sheet, they would stick out a little bit because FSU has been so good at free throws uh, since they've come back from their break. That was one of the issues we harped on leading up to the break because in the first matchup against Clemson, FSU did not shoot them particularly well. I think they were like 60% on free throws, 71.4% in this past game. So uh, not up to the snuff that we've seen from, let's say, the game against Louisville or UNC earlier, but still nothing really to, to worry about in that regard, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, because all that stuff isn't isn't huge factor because I mean, FSU does a really good job of nailing that stuff down and making sure those little things get done really well and right. But uh, let's talk a little bit about Scotty Barnes because I mean, he's he's playing good right now. He's got, he had seven points. What is that? Seven points, seven assists, four boards in the game against Clemson. He's still trying to come back, really get hit back those sea legs that he had coming uh, out out of that injury that he suffered a few weeks ago with the ankle. But how like do you like where he's been coming from off the bench? Because he has been coming off for the past four, was it four games or so? Yeah, he, he's uh, come off the bench three of the last four, and then the one, I believe it was the game against UNC, he was just hurt, had the ankle injury that he suffered against NC State. And he's done reasonably well there. So if uh, obviously, I like you said, we have no idea what goes on behind closed doors. If this is just a short-term experiment or... If uh, Leonard Hamilton actually thinks that having Raekwon Evans start at point guard is the way for this team to win uh, basketball games, I have no clue. But he's been putting up uh, double digits, uh, close double digits, and then obviously f- stuffing the stat sheet with assists. That's Scotty Barnes' brand of basketball. He's really good at assisting on plays. Uh, if if that is where he is best served, sort of in that Patrick Williams or Fiondu Cabangeli uh, sixth man, despite being the biggest contributor on the team role, then by all means keep him there. Well, and it's tough, and like that's he does so well with those assists because of that length and the unusual yeah. matchup that he gives uh, his opponents. I mean, he's going to be about three or four inches taller against almost yeah. every point guard that has to go up to him. He's, or, he's six nine. That's crazy. Exactly. So you're going to be forced to put a big man or a slower guy up there if you want to defend him properly, and then he gets beat because then you're guaranteeing a mismatch somewhere else on the court. So I mean, it's. He's a match of nightmare in college game. Obviously, might not be that much in the NBA because the NBA is kind of going towards really a no posi- a positionless basketball yes. system. So that's the upside they have there in the NBA. But here in college, it's still very much so positionless basketball. And so you're going to have a lot of bad matchups looking forward down this lineup here because some teams just aren't as tall as FSU. FSU is the second tallest team in the nation. I think it's by point one like uh, inch there on the exacts of it. I think Stanford is point. It's like set on average seventy nine point three or four, and FSU's point one less. So I mean, it's extremely tough to get uh, to defend that. Yeah, and I was I was noticing uh, the players' heights for Clemson during during the game on Saturday. I believe uh, number four in particular, Honor. I forget his first name, but Honor for mm-hmm. for Clemson looked like he was a good foot taller than everybody else out there. But he's five ten. And that's just how how tall these guys for FSU are. They're able to dwarf normal sized human beings. I didn't even notice Nick Honor was four t- or five ten. I mean, geez, yeah. that is short, for, especially compared to. I mean, I mean, yeah, it, it's I mean, short, but like I'm five eleven, so I, he would be maybe like not not that much. I was about to say he's me. our height, but yeah. like we're average height for men in a way. Yeah. Like we're six foot five uh, eleven, whatever, like that round that range there. But I mean, he's he's a he's dwarfed by the rest yeah. of the lineup that he's going up against. So, I mean, there's. One, speaking of the height and like that defensive matchup kind of difference there, we saw it on um, Clemson when I can't remember the guy who's driving number five 
on the Tigers. Let me pull him up here. Hunter Tyson mm. drove down through the lane. He said, I am going to go for a dunk, and I'm going to try and put Malik Osborne on a poster. Malik Osborne packed him in the next week and said, give me that, yep. and then you can fill in the rest. I mean, that was one of the – I think that was the most emphatic block and the best block that we've seen from this team this season. I mean, that was a, that was a great moment to watch. Yeah, it's it's sort of reminiscent, obviously, on the other side of the ball, but it's sort of reminiscent of the, the Trent Forrest dunk from mm-hmm. uh, last season when you just – it's that instant poster moment. Obviously, you don't think of postering guys when you're playing on defense, but just being able to deny that shot in such an emphatic way it's super good for a guy like Malik Osborne to experience that. Yeah, you're trying to avoid getting put on the poster yes, by yes. stepping up there and attempting that block. But I mean, that was, I mean, that's top 10 play. I didn't see Sports Center later on in the night, but I'm sure that should be a top 10 play right there. I, for I would them. hope so, yeah. Yeah, if they're not, they got, some, they got something wrong going on at that <laughs> network, and they got a lot of things going wrong. But let's move on to a little bit of the women's side of the, uh, of the, of FSU basketball, because. They're they're still in that kind of rough spot. They're trying to figure out where they're going right now. They went one and one this past week, and they had an OT win against Clemson, ninety five to eighty eight. That was in double overtime on Thursday, and then they lost to Georgia Tech, sixty six to fifty eight. And this team has just been still trying to find their identity. I think that's the right way of saying it because there isn't one player that's going to be there every single night and doing the same things. Like Morgan Jones showed up one night, but not so much others. So. You're not you're not really finding anyone that's going to be that person for the team. Yeah, it's it's really what we alluded to last week or the week before when we were talking about the women in their return to play. They just need that consistent rock. Like it's it's MJ Walker for the men's team. He's mm-hmm. going to give you usually when he's healthy a guaranteed 15 plus a, a night. And then you see Morgan Jones. Obviously, she exploded for 36 points against Clemson. That's great. But sometimes she doesn't even. Uh, sometimes she just barely gets into double figures. So. She's probably the most recognizable name on that team. She's the one that I would peg to be the biggest contrib- contributor, the most consistent contributor. And then sometimes she just sort of disappears, honestly, uh, doesn't live up to the starter expectations. So it's great that she was able to show out and really shoot Clemson out of the gym in those overtime periods. But w- they're going to need that a lot more often than what they're getting. Exactly. And it's the same thing kind of with Bianca Jackson, too, on yeah. this team. She like had a great she had 21 points at Louisville, the number one team in the nation. Granted, that was in nearly a 30 point loss to the Cardinals. Yeah. But then she goes in a couple next game. I think she had 18 and then seven or so. So, I mean, she's they're just not finding that footing there and being able to stay on a consistent path going forward. And obviously it's tough to do with this whole kind of system that we're all set up in right now. But for a team that's trying to make a push and that's trying to be a tournament team, they got to find something. And because it doesn't feel like they're finding it to get themselves forward and kind of get themselves over that hump because there's a lot of teams separating themselves right now in the women's game, like uh, NC State and Louisville, yeah. two teams like FSU. They actually had to bail on playing NC State because NC State had some COVID issues. Right. And I think that's honestly the best thing that could have happened to this team because <laughs> Going back to back against number one and two teams, you're that's that's tough. I mean, yeah. maybe that, that that does help you though because iron sharpens iron in that way. Yeah. But it's it's rough for your confidence really going forward if you just kind of get uh, two really bad games in a row. Which obviously obviously we don't know how that NC State game would have ended up. But going just off paper and going yeah. off what probably a lot of the gambling experts would say, it was not going to be a pretty game for the Knolls. I agree with that. And I mean, we were saying on the show leading up to that game, because we had just said, oh, they, they got done playing number two Louisville. They're going to have to play NC State next. We were saying that that was going to be a good experience for them to sort of get knocked around, get used to how these better teams in the conference are playing. But I feel like on the inside, both or all three of us were thinking, this is just going to be another uh, ugly loss, and we have no idea how the team is going to take it. Obviously, a lot of athletes pride themselves on their ability to sort of just wipe their memory of a really bad game and move on to the next one sort of obviously take uh, some lessons away from that game but just not dwell on say a 30 point loss we don't know uh, what the players on that team would have uh, would have thought about a, a loss the same way that they had lost to Louisville so probably for the best that they did not have to go through that again because just based on the numbers based on the rankings it wouldn't have been a really fun game for FSU to play but uh, they have an opportunity to get themselves right against some uh, inferior to Louisville, say, competition. Yeah, they'll be taking on Wake Forest on Thursday night at 6 o'clock, and then they'll be taking on UNC the following week in uh, Chapel Hill at 6 p.m. on February 4th. So 
two games coming up for them. They get a little bit of that rest there because it's not a two-in-one week uh, for them. They got Thursday and Thursday, so that's nice for this team. They can maybe get a little bit of that rest because coming out of that COVID break, sometimes you can get blindsided by the total uh, physical wear and tear that a basketball game can take on your body. So a lot of good stuff looking forward to them on those couple games there and men's game. They got, uh, like we said, Miami this week on Wednesday and then Georgia Tech on Saturday. So a lot happening in FSU basketball and athletics. Wish we could get to all of that because there's so much going on. I mean, golf's getting underway for both men's and women's. Tennis is underway. I mean, there's so much going on right now at this campus. It's almost impossible to touch it all in a whole hour-long show. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you you mentioned golf in particular. The men's team, they did win the uh, Camp Creek Creek Seminole Invitational this past weekend. they, They were starting three new players, three players that had never suited up for FSU before. So really good stuff from them. I haven't been keeping up with the uh, the tournament that is going on today and tomorrow. I don't know how they're doing there. But... I haven't looked at that one yet, but I, from what I saw from the stat sheets, because obviously this doesn't get televised from golf, yeah. it sucks. But like you, do, like sometimes you see it on Golf Channel every now and then. They do, I think the, the Southwest Invitational, a um, Pepperdine tournament yes. is being broadcasted tomorrow. So... Uh, but John Pack, the best player on the team, did not have his best week at mm. Camp Creek. So that was reassuring to see that the rest of that team can back him up because when you have sometimes it is this way in golf where you have a number one guy like that and no one else can kind of fill the number two hole and get to a close number uh, one spot there. So great to see the way that they're playing. Coach Trey Jones always has a solid squad under uh under that roof over there at the new Seminole Legacy Golf Course, but yeah, let's let's get, let's touch a little bit on the UFC though before we get to the half because I mean that was a lot. That's a lot of fun. Grant, my guy Connor did not win this weekend. Neither did uh, Hooker, Dan Hooker, one of the guys that we enjoy watching over here. But it was a great card nonetheless. And let's I mean let's just go right to Connor because I mean that's yeah. the story. Because don't let's be honest, not that many people care about the ins and outs of the for the four uh, ma- other main card fights, but the Conor McGregor, uh, Dustin Poirier won. Dustin Poirier TKOs Conor in the second round. Conor looked good in the first, in my opinion. Looked like he put up a solid first round together, didn't get hit too hard, took a couple bashes, and then def- had a pretty decent takedown defense uh, when Poirier went for it. But second round, he was starting to look good heading into the first part, in the first half of that round. Poirier starts putting on more leg kicks, yeah. I think about 11 to 1 at the end of it all. And then you have, uh, was it, and then you have, sorry, I just got distracted by the blinking light going on in my corner, but you got, uh, he, McGregor starts to get a little bit fast and loose, and then that's when things really got bad. And he could not recover when he started to just throw punches yeah. and not find his, uh, find his stride again. Yep, that's that's my takeaway as well. I would have given the first round to McGregor if scoring mattered for this affair. But, I mean, just the leg kicks, like you mentioned, Gary, those were destroying Connor. Dustin Poirier was doing a great job of threading those in. And Connor didn't really start incorporating those into his game until it was really too late in that second round. So p- people were even building Connor up to be more of a, a kicking, uh, well, to incorporate more of the kicking into his game leading up to this fight. And you just never saw it until it was really too late. So props to Poirier. I mean, people were already crowning Connor in the days leading up to the fight just because he has that that clout, that big name in the UFC, and he had won their first affair, albeit six years ago. Seven, yeah. Seven. yeah. Sorry, almost seven years ago. I mean, 2014 was when that fight happened. I mean, or, yeah. yeah, so it's crazy how long that's been, but do you do you want to see a Dustin Connor part three? Because, I mean, I, I'm i not too sure of it. Sebastian? It doesn't matter. Dana's going to give it to us whether yeah. we want it or not. I mean, every single series that goes one-to-one has a trilogy. Every uh, single one. Nate Diaz, Connor McGregor. Only went two. They split them, split the first two. Diaz won first, McGregor lost second. That's the only one that I can really think of that did not get a trilogy. They're going to get a trilogy. There's I, no doubt in my mind. The pro- my, my, that wasn't even the fight that like got me going the most. Um, that's like the e-ticket fight, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But the Mike Chandler, uh, Dan Booker fight, or Dan Hooker, yes. sorry, uh, fight was nothing short of incredible. The fight was pretty good itself. Only went two rounds as well. Uh, but what really struck me was after um, a TKO went to Chandler's favor, um, how he, you know, took it all in. He's a guy with a ton of hype. You know, um, they said on the broadcast that Chandler, uh, the, the UFC brought up the Brinch truck for, yeah. uh, for, to get Chandler in the, in the octagon. And uh, he delivered. 
And my, my favorite part was obviously the uh, Ric Flair-inspired, like, this is the greatest moment of my professional career promo that he cut. I love guys who cut promos. Like, that always gets me excited, regardless of whatever they say. They cut a promo, and it's good, like Chandler's was last night. Did, or, did uh, he two do? Days ago. Did he do the surprise, surprise thing that Connor yep. did? Yeah. See, yep. the problem that I have with that, come up with your own thing, man. Don't use <laughs> Connor's. Connor's already done his thing. I mean, Don't the, do surprise, like, surprise. Like the, I, um, this is the greatest moment of my professional career is mm-hmm. another reference to uh, to wrestling because that, that was Rick, uh, when Ric Flair mm-hmm. won his first Royal Rumble, I think. That's what he said. This is the greatest moment of my professional career. That entire... The, the the art of a promo is is all that trying to trying to poke people where yeah. it bothers them trying to get them riled up and, and that's and that's exactly what he did to me he got me yeah. a Connor guy a little bit riled up there and I was like oh there get you your go. get out of I here mean, he man called Khabib. he's like if you want if you want uh thirty and I know you do you got you got to beat someone so why not beat me if you dare that's a like that's that. a bear you don't poke you yeah. do not poke the that's Khabib awesome bear, man. that's one you like, don't want to touch <laughs> this man this man called out the entire lightweight division and basically stamped his ticket of like yes I'm going to be an e-ticket attraction from here on out for at least until 2022 I, i'm this, so excited to watch him i'm a, I'm a yeah. fan like immediately i've i haven't watched michael chandler's fights in bellator but i yeah. want to watch him now it, it's it's good that you mentioned bellator because i was going to say that this is his first fight in the ufc and he's mm-hmm. already calling out all the big contenders the the champion khabib so I, I love the charisma i was obviously like gary said i was rooting for hooker in this fight just because i like his demeanor the way he's uh talks leading up to fights but i mean I, I think that Chandler is going to be a great guy to have around, not for a long time, because he said, I'm here for a good time, not a long time mm-hmm. in, in, in the UFC, but for however long he's around, he's going to be one of these big draws. The one thing I hope for is that it's not a Ben Askren type yeah. coming out party, because Ben Askren had the same kind of thing. His first fight, I think it was th- two or three years ago, against Robbie Lawler, really great fight, should have lost. The ref didn't stop it. He ended up coming back, winning the fight, and then he gets a, he called people out. He said, I want a big name. Dana gives him Jorge Masvidal, and that's when the quickest knockout in UFC history happens when he gets his skull cracked, cracked by a flying knee in the first run-up. Like, when you when they go yeah, to touch gloves, he, that, that yeah, clip. Masvidal just gave him a knee to the head, and that was it, and that was curtains for him. And we haven't really seen him since because that's, I mean, the UFC is that kind of sport where it can do that to you. And I don't know. It's it. I, hopefully he has a better career than that in the UFC, but we'll see how it goes. I don't, I think... We're pushing up right against the break. We will be back, though, with maybe a little bit more UFC talk. We'll ask our friend Luke uh, Hazen about his thoughts on the fight card. And then we'll get into the, the main event, our main event of the evening, this, uh, the a- NFC and AFC title games. So we'll be back in just a moment. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.
Luke, Luke, we're back. We're back. Sorry, I didn't patch you in there just at the end, but because uh, it, I was afraid of some noises coming about. But and we were kind of caught up in this Connor conversation, which we'll fill you in now. Uh, you probably heard a little bit of it as you were sitting there, kind of in our holding green room on the phone there. Purgatory. Yes, but I could hear. I could hear you. I couldn't hear Sebastian per se. I just know that y'all were talking about the fight. Yes, correct. So, for people that don't know, this is Luke Hazen, one of our reporters here at the station. Does a great job. Big Bucks fan. That's why we really brought him on for tonight. But <laughs> let's let's continue a little. Let's. I want to know your thoughts. Did you watch the UFC card this weekend? Oh yeah. Well, when I was eight, when my you know my ESPN Plus wouldn't cut out, I was able to eventually uh, watch most most of the other cards. Definitely the main card. And uh, I listen. I was thoroughly entertained by it. I, you know, I'm not the biggest Connor fan in the world, but anytime he's on, you have to watch him. He's just that sort of legend in the game that I, I was immediately drawn to the screen for the night. Yeah, it's appointment television for sure. But was there like I had this feeling when I saw Connor coming into the uh, octagon that night? I've been following him for a long time. I've liked loved watching his fights. A lot of great memories watching him. And as he was walking in, I said to my friend that I was sitting next to, I was like, this doesn't feel right. I mean, like, this is not going to go well. He is not, he's at the end of his career, in my opinion. And I, like, am I the only one who was kind of on this thought process during this? No, not at all. You know, I've seen him walk in out of the Rolls Royce, you know, to, to all the, all this pomp and circumstance. I sort of like thought to Game of Thrones almost with the red wedding. I, he just seemed <laughs> off. For so much leading up to that fight, and when it you know when they actually hit the canvas, when they actually took the fighting, you could tell from about midway through the first round that something was up that he was not in the right headspace to go out and win a competitive fight like that. Yeah, and it 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 just felt weird watching that because like obviously every single time Connor stepped into the ring, I have been ultra confident in his abilities to win that fight yeah. and beat anyone, even when it was against Khabib. Going into that, I was confident in him. And that just didn't end up that way. This is the first time where I was like, I had actual doubt and serious doubts about his fighting mm-hmm. ability. And he, he kind of backed up my thoughts. And it was it was sad to see, really, because he's going to come back. I don't think he should, because that's how he gets even more embarrassed, in my opinion. And that's that <laughs> legacy kind of goes down and down. Because McGregor is never getting close to that peak that he was at before. I mean, that no, peak no, no, was no. astronomically Listen, high. Yeah. Listen, and it's not like he's protecting a perfect record either. He can't just go and pick and choose the, the, these lower-tier fights that he knows he can win to maintain a perfect record. Like, the dude's got some major blemishes on his record now. I, it's not the same as Khabib picking and choosing who to come back and fight against. It's not like Floyd Mayweather in boxing he's picking and choosing. Like, McGregor, he's got to make up some, some goodwill with the fighting community, and, and he puts himself at risk of losing because he's not at his peak – peak performance anymore i agree but there's something to be said about uh, what he said after the fight just being inactive in this sport is a death sentence or something along those lines yep. mm-hmm. he hadn't fought since what was it like the, the, the cowboys the Cerrone Cerrone fight. It, it was january of 2020 right yes i believe so yeah so early on yeah yeah it, it was really a year between two fights uh that's not going to do you any favors in the ufc um he said he was trying to get two or three or four fights in uh in the first quarter or half of this year just to try and make up for that time that he had spent off. I think that's a little bit ambitious, but if he can sort of like get this rematch against Dustin Poirier scheduled for way far in advance and then build his way back up to getting his uh, getting a good resume, uh, I think he'll be in fine shape. He, he's, he's obviously not going to hit those peaks that he hit before, obviously, uh, when he was, what, 19 and 2 at his peak, but... He's still going to be a, a contender to consider. I think we see a I, what I would like to see out of the UFC going forward with this lightweight division is going with a Poirier and then Justin Gaethje yep. uh, interim lightweight title fight. And then dependent on the win or loss there for Poirier, then he would get to Conor McGregor again and we would see a second one. So I don't think they're neither of their next fights will be against each other. No. They will do something else. And then probably mm. in November... December uh, 2021, we see the rematch possibly. But yeah, so uh, let's get let's get into some NFL now because we've done our we've done our time on UFC. We yeah. sadly we don't have uh, Dakota Greer in here to chop it up about the octagon with us, but we do have Luke Hayes in here to talk about his and Sebastian's Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and they, I mean, how does that sound? NFC champ Tampa Bay Buccaneers. How does that sound to you guys, Sebastian? It does. It still like it still hasn't really sunk in. 
Um, I watched that game through its entirety. Um, it doesn't. It didn't feel real. Uh, the the Saints game felt sweet immediately. That game was so like absolutely gratifying from basically minute zero um, all the way to the end. I'm not saying it was a one-sided affair at any point, but um, I wasn't really allowed to enjoy this one as sweetly as I could. So it's still kind of slowly making its way through my system. Uh, what about you, Luke? I, you know, first of all, I, I'm I'm just so happy for the rest of Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans out there, whether they be in Tampa or, or all over the place. For so long, they've gotten a rap of, as being, oh, if you root for the Buccaneers, you're, you're, you're older in age. It's like, it's like old people go to Florida. Those, who, those guys root for the Buccaneers. You know, the, it's, it's not a, a name brand football franchise. And, and so I'm so happy that they finally get to relish in something like that because people forget how good the 2002 Super Bowl team was. Only problem is, I can't really tell my memories from that because I was two years old when that happened. So to finally experience a, a, a huge, awesome season like this for the Buccaneers, it is so relieving after years and years of, of inadequacy. I may not be able to relate as a Bucks fan, but as someone whose team has beaten Aaron Rodgers in an NFC Championship game to go to the Super Bowl, it's a great feeling. Obviously, we, we don't talk about the game that followed back in 2017, but just... Being able to take down one of the storied franchises, one of the storied quarterbacks, is a really great feeling in the moment. So I'm happy for both of you that you get to experience it. And I, I want to follow up on something Sebastian said about the Saints game. To, to me, the, Sa- the Saints game was it. Because yeah. you have to think back to when they signed Tom Brady, when the Bucks signed Tom, Tom Brady this offseason. This was always a two-year project. It was never, you have to win the Super Bowl or else year one. They signed a two-year contract. And then they had to work amidst a pandemic. So to, to get revenge on the Saints was one thing. And then you head into the NFC Championship game. There's a lot, lot more at stake. I think it gave Bucks fans a chance to kind of step back and realize the importance, the grand stage that is the NFC Championship. I mean, geez, Jesus, that, that game was Shakespearean theater of the greatest, the greatest tier. Uh, from every storyline imaginable was in that game. And I, I could not be happier right now that we came up on the other side of it victorious. Well, how nervous were you? Cause I saw at 4 50 PM on <laughs> Sunday, you tweeted out, uh, what, what, what'd you say? Ball game. Oh, was man. it, was that, was yeah, it man. something along the lines I, of I said ball game? Listen, the Packers came out in that first half and towards the, 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 the midway point, the, the middle eight, as I call it, the last four minutes of the, of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half, they looked like Conor McGregor out there, like Conor McGregor looked out there on Saturday. They were getting absolutely manhandled by the Bucks, And not only manhandled by the Bucks, but by themselves. They looked like the team that showed up in Tampa Bay week six, just getting embarrassed on the field. So I sent out ball game because I knew that Tom Brady had an 18-point lead in, in a huge game that he just doesn't lose. He doesn't lose games like that, guys. Um, I, I just... So I, I sent that out. I do not regret sending it out. Even if they would have lost, I would not have taken it down. But I'm very, very happy that I uh, I did not have to come back and regret that, for sure. And here we experienced a duality of fan. Because you, as soon as you saw uh, you know, Luke tweet out ball game, I was like, you know what, that's, that's one good half. Let's just, let's just see it home so we can, we can enjoy the bowl from home. I lo- but uh, it's just like I, I've been – I'm like on that other side of the coin where where he's drinking in all the the uh, the joy from right now, rightly so. But I'm thinking back to past ten years, just misery. I'm thinking of uh, what was his name, Jeff Garcia. I'm thinking of Josh Freeman. I'm thinking of the giraffe, Mike Glennon. I'm thinking of just the woes and and the epitome of what it what it means to live a Bucks life. Um, and I was and I was worried. I was like, I've seen this. I've seen this picture before. I know that they can they can they can blow leads or at least make games uncomfortably close. And that's what did happen. But yeah, we, we're on the we're on the other side of that. It's like one of those things. It's like okay, what if what if uh, Rogers would have run that ball on third down? What if they would have gone for the touchdown? And I would have been like, it's like that one Kanye West speech where he's like, well, what if I didn't win? And it's like, guess we'll never know. Guess we'll never know. <laughs> And, and I don't just want to turn this into a, a you know a Buccaneers podcast here. What did you guys think 
of some of the decisions within within the game. You know, we we can talk about how great it is to feel that the how great it is that the Buccaneers won, but how they got there. I mean, this game was absolutely crazy from the plays made to the decisions made to everything. What did you guys think of the whole thing? Well, uh, a football game is not one on one play alone. It's a it's a collective of a bunch of different plays that lead up to like a, a capstone kind of moment. Uh, for the Buccaneers, the capstone moment, I think, was the Scotty Miller touchdown right before uh, the death of the half, right? Uh, for the Packers, though, it was a slow death because it's you, you get, you're gifted three possessions. Three possessions where you just have to get through uh, the Buccaneer defense and you can convert and you can do what is what would be what, like a 21-point swing? Taking away seven points from the Buccaneers on a drive and, and getting 14 on your own? That would be a 28-point swing, actually. Um, if you can just convert. But how many points do you get out of three possessions and two Tom Brady picks? Things that are worth their weight in gold. Three, you get three six Tom, points. Three Tom Brady picks. Three Tom Brady. Three picks. touchdowns, three interceptions for Brady. Aaron Rodgers had three touchdowns, one interception. It's worth its weight in gold. And what do you get out of it? Six points. You got to be kidding me, man. That that we they they served, they were serving pirate on a platter. And you could not get away with it. That yeah, that's what really did kill this Packers team is that they weren't able to capitalize. I mean, the Bucks were able to capitalize with the with that one uh, turn or with one of the turnovers that they got in that game in, to get that Scotty Miller touchdown at the half. That was huge. And then they were forcing then, fumbles left and right. Yeah, yeah. The Aaron Jones fumble to start the second half was even even bigger in my opinion to to really push that lead to eighteen. That that's when I sent out the ball game tweet. That's when it seemed insurmountable. Scotty Miller touchdowns, good and all, but 11 points, that's two scores for Aaron Rodgers. Exactly. And I'm not going to lie, as a Tom Brady hater over here, I I was not nervous for him at all because I've been watching this for my entire life, and I'm seeing is like, okay, Tom Brady is yeah. not going to blow his lead. Even when it got close, even at when they had that fourth down there, I was like, like the Packers are screwed. They're shooting themselves in the foot right now. I wasn't nervous yeah. either. Uh, Luke, you can go ahead. Oh, no, I, yeah. I, you can finish, Austin. I was going to follow that up with something about the, the fourth down decision, but go ahead, Austin. Okay. Yeah, I was not nervous for him at all. I figured he would clutch it out. I figured the Bucks would move on to win this game. But after those two consecutive picks, I was th- kind of thinking to myself, oh, it would be just not not quite perfect poetic justice, but some sort of justice for him to have a three-score lead in a very tightly contested playoff game. And then by by his own uh, really bad bad performance, obviously you can blame one of the picks on the running back not blocking correctly, kind of forcing Brady to throw an arm punt. But by his own picks, he would lose that game. So I was kind of holding out hope that the Pack- that the Packers would take advantage of those picks that they never did. Uh, the Tampa Bay defense was just too suffocating. But there, there was still definitely something in the back of my mind just saying Tom Brady has this in the bag. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's a key thing. This This isn't Tom Brady's team. He is, he is a huge part of why this team is where they are. But that defense won the game for the Buccaneers yeah. mm-hmm. in the second half. Tom Brady Tom Brady nearly gave the game away, gave Aaron Rodgers two extra possessions with the chance to take the lead, and both times the Buccaneers got to Aaron Rodgers and sacked him. What I want to talk about with the fourth down play by LaFleur, the fourth down decision to kick it there towards the end of the game. You know, Tampa Bay fans, they have been so blessed this year from the Stanley Cup championship to this clinching of the NFC championship to the Rays making it to the World Series. But it hasn't all been rosy. That fourth down play reeked, reeked. It absolutely reminded me of a cross-sports parallel with Kevin Cash taking the ball out of Blake mm-hmm. Snell's hand this year. Yep. It absolutely reminded me. The same way LaFleur take, took the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands in that moment, not only the on-field ramifications of them going on to lose that game, but – the 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 mess it makes the mess that you have to clean up in the locker room, guys. I I am not so sure that Aaron Rodgers ever plays another snap for the Green Bay Packers. That's a that's I, okay. a that's an uncomfortably hot take. All right, yeah. all right. Let's, See, let's roll I, this back I, but, a bit. But I well, but I don't I don't hate that take though because I mean the Lafleur. It's so it was the drafting of a quarterback uh, taking love uh, with their pick this that's year. The, that's Lafleur the real, not like, really doing the best job of play calling. Grant Aaron Rodgers is going to win the MVP this year, so it's not that bad of play calling. But still, some things are fractured, and maybe it's time for a change of scenery. The guy only won one Super Bowl. All right, let's let's walk this back for one 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 moment. I hate to cut you off, Austin. No, you're good. But but first off, there's never been a team in the history of the NFL that has let their has released their MVP winner for the previous season. So let's get that out of the way. 
Aaron Rodgers will be back for the Green Bay Packers next year. You can book that. I don't care. Uh, second, um, that that play, just like I think the cash play, honestly, uh, the, the cash the the cash call is a is a whole nother can of worms that I really don't want to get into right now. Um, <laughs> but it's a great comparison. But it's a great comparison. It, it, I I think, but uh, just because there is kind of like a it's a no sum game for for Lafleur. You can you can bet on Rodgers. And if Rodgers doesn't pay out, the game's over there. Um, you can you can give yourself a window, but you have to, at one point in the game, you have to score a touchdown. That position is forced because you could not convert on on multiple drives in, in both, in, in the second half, sorry, um, where, where Rodgers could not convert for one reason or the other. And one of those reasons is because his offensive line uh, could not buy him enough time. And they bought him a good bit of time. But on snaps that mattered, they could not get him out. On three um, right. times where times where it was three and out, um, times where you know uh, a loss for uh, a huge loss on second down, like that happened plenty of times. And you know what have happened? Uh, would have uh, been great right there. Maybe a first round defensive lines or offensive linesman. That would have been pretty here, nice. And that's where that's where I yeah, think you yeah. you lose Aaron Rodgers. You lose the Aaron Rodgers in the front office. It's not. I wouldn't pin it solely and exclusively on Matt Lafleur. No, here, Luke. Yeah, right, right. I'm not pinning it all on Matt Lafleur. I, I am thinking. Here's my argument against the the idea that the Packers would have had a better chance or would have won with, with someone other than Jordan Love going in the first round to him. Listen, guys, the Packers were the best team in the NFC all season long. They were historic on offense and historically great in the red zone. There was no reason that they couldn't have won that game with Jordan Love staying on the sidelines. My problem is. Not only do you compound the Jordan Love problem, because listen, Aaron Rodgers played pissed off at the front office and at Matt LaFleur all year long because they drafted a quarterback in the first round. I don't care what he says about his relationship with LaFleur. I know that made him mad and kind of fueled him for this season. But not only that, you by taking the ball out of his hands there, you are severing yourself from Aaron Rodgers' good fortune. Uh, listen, Aaron Rodgers looked like he had seen a car crash by the end of that movie when he went out to shake hands with Tom Brady and in his press game or his post game press conference he looked like he he looked shattered just like he said i i don't know how they rebound from this i i don't think that that play alone is what's going to sever their relationship you you flash back to 2 years when Aaron Rodgers pretty much ran Mike McCarthy out of town that was after years of playoff futility. That was after years of losing playoff games that Aaron Rodgers, one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game, should not lose. So his his talents were pretty much put to waste after that after that one Super Bowl. So this is one play. Honest, I mean, it, it's not one play that lost them the game, but it's one play that's going to stick in the back of Aaron Rodgers' mind. And I feel like that that can be sort of easily resolved with a couple conversations. Just talk about, don't do that. I, 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 I felt personally offended when you took the ball out of my hands. I am going to win the MVP. You are uh, making a really dumb decision by putting faith in our defense that has done nothing to keep us in the game all day. So, like, it, it takes a couple hard conversations, but I think they're going to be just fine, at least for this next season. I think it's a little reactionary to say that Aaron Rodgers has played his last snap as a Green Bay Packer. Uh, his ties to that that organization, despite what they may have done in the draft this past year and in in years past when they've refused to draft him weapons high in the draft, uh, his tie to that organization is one that can't be severed by just th- the decisions that were made yesterday. But it's almost identical to Brett Favre and what happened with him. I mean, it's literally the same, quite literally the same thing. They drafted Rodgers while Brett Favre was still there, and Brett Favre was like, "Screw this, I'm gone." Like, I'm well retiring, gone. Yeah. But then obviously goes to play for Minnesota, plays pretty well there, takes him to a playoff game, and then goes to the Jets and does whatever the heck he wanted over there. But, yeah, it I I don't know. It feels like that same situation, though. So that's why I'm saying. Photoshop season in the Twin Cities. It is for Matt Stafford, too. There's a lot. NFC North guys that the Photoshops are popping off right now. But (laughs) but still, let's let's keep this thing moving because we've we've done a lot of uh, Bucks talk here. And there's we We can talk about some Chiefs. It feels like we it doesn't feel like there was another game going on last night. Because, I mean, (laughs) this game wasn't this game was good early on. Buffalo, uh, like every team in Arrowhead in the playoffs the past two seasons, they looked pretty good early on. They got the things done, except they missed the extra point. They got nine nothing, and then the Chiefs then put it on, and like they ended up winning thirty eight to twenty four in KC. So, what did you guys see out of this game? Are 
is this more or less what we expected? Because, I mean, I thought Buffalo had a chance of winning this game. Even before they said Mahomes is, even when they said Mahomes was clear, I was like, Buffalo is not out of this thing just yet. Because er, Josh Allen, very good quarterback. It's just, can your defense make the stops when it's needed? Yeah, I mean, Buffalo has been impressive all year. Josh Allen has been playing near an MVP level. Uh, the addition of Stefan Diggs in the passing game has been just paying dividends for him all season, paying dividends for that team. And Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator, who honestly, in my opinion, should have gotten the job with the, the Chargers. Uh, once he was off the table there, he just kind of said, I'm going to stay here in Buffalo, which blows my mind that he didn't get that. But he's he's been putting in work all year. Uh, I thought that the Bills had a great shot in this game, especially if Mahomes was not at 100%, which I had my fears about that as a Mahomes stan, honestly. But those fears were very quickly put to rest. Mahomes was immaculate, honestly. 29 of 38, 325 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, he had great command of the game on Sunday. And it, it's it's above anything that I would have expected. Luke? Yeah, I, listen, yeah, listen, I thought Buffalo was going to be game coming into it. I mean, they had been next to the next to the Packers the most impressive team this this entire season just from you know how they were beating teams how many teams they were beating in a row like they they were the hottest team heading into the postseason and um you know just situationally I think Josh Allen kind of mismanaged some things the whole team did down in the red zone on offense you can't be trading field goals with Kansas City especially when they're pissed that they're down nine nothing like that I think one you know once Hardman hit that huge end around to get them into the red zone the first time and, and eventually score to make it 9-7. I kind of thought the tables had turned a little bit. It, and you don't help yourself either when you're, you're you're kicking field goals down near the, you know, fourth and two, fourth and three. McDermott's sending the field goal unit out there. That's just not a winning recipe. And the sacks, some of the sacks that Josh Allen took, you just can't have it in a game like this. So, uh, listen, it's a great season for Buffalo. I know all their fans and probably every player in there is still pissed that they couldn't cash in a little bit on what had been a great season. But uh, that's just the Chiefs being the Chiefs. You mentioned those sacks. I mean, obviously, the field the field goals are what's going to stand out. Uh, kicking from fourth and goal at the two and then fourth and three at the eight, those are situations where you probably 100% of the time should go for it, especially if you're playing the the bionic quarterback that is Patrick Mahomes. Uh, but the, the, the sacks that Josh Allen took, just scrambling backwards 15, 20 yards, yeah. it, it's like something you would see in a backyard football game where nobody really cares about the outcome. That is not something that you can do. That's something he needs to completely erased from his game like that's that he's, attribute he's of his, had about like five or six of those the entire yeah. postseason like yeah. it's, it's been a trend that, and that, it's not a good one yeah. for buffalo that is something that i attribute to old josh allen from his first two years in the league like he was known as a gunslinger really reckless uh bang or missed type of type of player He's been mostly bang on this season, but that element of his game is just something that needs to go. Needs to go. He's done a really good job yeah. of renovating his game and becoming an, a proper NFL quarterback. Yeah. But that's yeah, like you said, that's that one thing that just he held on to it, and like he thinks he can be Mahomes or Rodgers in that way because he's seen those guys do it. But man, you're not the same guy as no. them. Like let's be <laughs> honest, you're a great player in your own right, but you're not those two guys. And so it's it's going to be tough. I mean, they're they're still going to be in the driver's seat in the AFC East. The Dolphins are not there yet, but the Dolphins will be competing with them still to, uh, to say the least next season. But yeah. We can we're going to talk about obviously do more Super Bowl stuff next week. But what is Luke for you cuz uh assuming that you won't be on the show next week, what is your gut reaction to this matchup Mahomes Brady the I'm I already dubbed it the passing the torch bowl. <laughs> Passing the torch bowl, the goat versus the kid. Yeah, I think that's a good that's a good one that people start to tag a little bit. Listen, the, the Chiefs should be the favorite in this game for the reason: not only are they the reigning Super Bowl champions, they beat the Buccaneers literally two months ago, and just on on paper, they look like the more impressive team. That being said, this is to, to quote my great friend Colin Cowherd, who I text with a lot. Oh yeah, you know, we, oh, yeah. <laughs> this this has a lot of. Really interesting comparisons to the 2007 Super Bowl between the undefeated Patriots and the New York Giants. That banged up offensive line, Eric Fisher out, Mitchell Schwartz is going to be out for Kansas City. That Buccaneers front seven can 100% get to Mahomes. I'm not saying it's likely to happen, but they could 100% you know, frustrate Mahomes. And then Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, I don't think that Bucks fans would ask for more than that, just a chance for him to go out and win his seventh Super Bowl. Uh, as a Bucks fan... I'm feeling slightly optimistic about our chances of competing in it. Um, but no, Kansas City should absolutely be the favorite in this game. That, that's fair to say because, or Sebastian? Uh, well, um, 
honestly, I, I really just wanted to echo. I'm not going to say anything about optimism or not, but, um, you know, a banged-out offensive line against a team that's being replenished. They're going to get Antonio Brown back. Which, um, they're going to get Vita Vea back, which is huge. Uh, like, uh, And that's going to be Vita Vea at full, like, operating capacity, right? That's not going to be, uh, you know, like uh, every few snaps you're going to bring him in on early downs. Uh, to kind of get them warmed up in an NFC Championship game, uh, you're gonna get uh, you know primed and ready and rested, uh, Buccaneer lineup. But so that, that's something to think about. But in terms of being optimistic or not, I prefer not to speak. So when we saw that first matchup between the Bucks and the Chiefs this season, this is probably gonna be the last question because we are running up right against the eight o'clock hour <laughs> here. But yeah. at the end, when that regular season matchup between the Chiefs and the Bucks, Tony Romo, when Brady and Mahomes are shaking hands, he said. This is a Super Bowl preview. I hope you enjoyed this one, folks. Something along those lines. I laughed in his face. I said, "You idiot! This is this isn't a Super Bowl. Like I mean, the Chiefs, sure, but not the Bucks, man. Get out of here!" And am I was I the only one who had that reaction? No, I, I was right there with you. I mean, this is a team that was like, were they seven and five at that point in the season? Or seven eight? and five. Mm-hmm. Seven and five. That was yeah. The last loss that they had this season, Jeez. they've won every single hey, game. Hey, 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 hey! Easy, easy. Don't don't jinx it. <laughs> yeah, no, don't jinx, no jinx anything. anything. But. I mean that 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 should have been most people's gut reaction because at that point in time the the team wasn't really clicking on all cylinders the way they are now. Uh, so I, I honestly thought that was a bit uh, very a, a bit soon for Romo to say that this is a Super Bowl matchup. But shame on us for discounting Tom Brady, the weapons this defense has, the weapons the offense has with however many receivers, Rob Gronkowski doing his thing. Uh, we we should have seen this coming. I'll say this, you know. A huge shout-out to Jason Light for building yeah. this roster over the course of the draft the last few years. I, you know, pro, Name any website you want, Pro Football Focus, uh, Draft Network, all these guys. By their metrics, these are the two most talented rosters pound for pound in the NFL. I, I truly think that we're getting the best two most talented teams in the NFL in the Super Bowl matchup. I'm per- and I'm perfectly fine with this matchup. Obviously, as the like the self-proclaimed Tom Brady hater, it's this is the most compelling storyline of that we could have received. I mean, Aaron Rodgers would have been fun, but seeing Tom Brady, the goat, against what we're suspecting could be better than the goat currently, it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's even I think it's even cooler that it's in that actual team is uh, home team is hosting the Super Bowl this year. So wait, um, Gary, Gary, I gotta ask you one thing though, as a, as a Tom Brady hater. Mm-hmm. You got it. You got to admit, he's kind of like you. Kind of lightened up on him this year. He looks <laughs> freer. He looks more relaxed, and he looks like he looks like a, a, the weight and the burden of being linked to Bill Belichick has been lifted off him this year. Am I am I wrong on that? No, and you're exactly correct because that's something when you come down to Florida, it changes. Because in New England, I can talk <laughs> from my from my cousin's perspective who live up in that area. My uncle's from Mass and all that. Everyone's always pissed off up there because it's cold. It's awful <laughs> weather, man. You come down here to Tampa Bay, Florida, this whole area of the country. There's nothing to complain about. He's living on. He's living in Derek Jeter's house, mm. St. Jetersburg. He gets to live in a sleepy beach town for the rest of his days. Exactly. So he's living it up here. Why? Why wouldn't you be happy? Why wouldn't you feel a little bit more freer, a little bit more loose? You have you're sitting in the sun in like 80 degree weather probably today, and sip, not sipping sipping Crown with Bruce Arians. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and Byron Leftwich, you're chilling it up with the boys. So I mean, it yeah, you're right. He is a lot more free, and it does. It, He's he's a little bit more likable this year. I'll say that. There you go. Oh, that's music to my ears when you say Tom Brady is more likable. He is. I mean, that's just how things have gone. Like it's he's gotten as if the bad man can't hurt him anymore. The, oh no, the bad man still can hurt me because they're because the Patriot fans will still uh, root for him yeah. and all that. Yep. So they'll try and claim this one, and it's not fair to claim this one. And I don't like that. I, I saw I saw some <laughs> some random Twitter account yesterday with the display name. Obviously, a Patriots fan. Their display name was Patriots Seventh Ring. So there's already something in the works to try and claim that as their own, even though Brady is obviously not with their franchise anymore. It's it, it's really it's, embarrassing. It's sad. It's yeah. sad for a fran- for people coming from that franchise to stoop to that low of a level yeah. to claim titles for other people. Like I would never do that. Like if the if the Patriots were undefeated going to the Super Bowl and they lost, I would never do that to so, them. I mean, who? Would that, why would that? Who would that make me? <laughs> so, so y'all know about the uh, the the Buck Patriots matchup that's slated for next season, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How much? How much do you want to bet that there's going to be some townies up in Boston who are going to make their way up to Foxborough 
and find a way to sneak a banner in there. There will be some there will be some short, sort of shenanigans going on at that one and I, and it's going to be a lot of fun when we get there but obviously hopefully we can have more fans cuz obviously Foxborough had none this year. So yeah. let's hope and pray for all that going forward but Luke we really appreciate you coming on gave us some really good insight on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Good course, luck yeah. good luck the rest of the way because, I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. I was, we were talking about could this be the peak of FSU basketball in terms of their play right now. This is probably the peak of Tampa Bay sports. <laughs> I, it, it literally, save, save for you know a, a, a game six win and a potential game seven for the Rays, it literally could not have gone much better for the for the Tampa Bay sports fans this year. Exactly. Live it up while you can. But for myself... And, and the, Rowdy, the Rowdies game getting canceled. That's stinks. Yeah, that, that was awful. The tournament, that, yeah. I still can't believe they never like tried to reschedule that. I mean, like, that's I think yeah, that's a bit ridiculous. Know. Like, I don't that's know. That's a question for Brett, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll bring on the our Rowdies aficionado in a bit to do that. But yeah, like I said, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. For Luke, or for Luke Hazen, for Austin Reynolds, for Sebastian Angeliano, and for myself, thank you for listening to this episode of Tomahawk Talk. New release is not up next. No. <laughs> we'll... <laughs> I don't know what's up next. Yeah. Automation is up Automation next. Automation is up next. Stay tuned for that. But we'll be back next week. So enjoy your week, and we'll see you next time.